had a wonderful conversation with somebody today. So I was sitting at the co-working space. So I'm in Costa Rica, the best Wi-Fi is at this co-working space. I'm sitting beside this gentleman, really, really great gentleman. We're talking about um, behavior change, talking about people's ability to change behaviors. Do any of you guys have a behavior that you're aware of that you would like to change? You know, you know maybe like one thing or three, th- like two, three things, maybe as it relates to your body, maybe as it relates to your self-care, your self-love, maybe as it relates to relationships, maybe as it relates to stress and your ability to communicate, any of those. In order to change, you need awareness. And you need the ability to be intentional, right? You need to be intentional with your behaviors. 95, 95% of our behaviors after 35 are unconscious, meaning we're not intentional about them. So how do I change if I'm not conscious about it? can't. So you have to reverse yourself into, okay, well, what makes me unconscious? The nervous system is the lens through which we see the world. So if your nervous system, like a guitar string, is too tightly wound, the body is going to be vibrating really, really tightly, and your ability to change is going to be less, which is why I thought that was a very good segue into this conversation around controlling the nervous system. So you guys have all heard of a box breath before, and box breath is like the simplest breath that anyone can learn how to do, and we should all know how to do it. So a box breath is just as it sounds. It's, it's an even proportion of a breath in, a pause, a breath out, and a pause. So you have four sides to a box. There's four aspects to the box breath. So if you guys are all up for this, if you're driving, don't do this. But if, and everybody else, if you're up for doing a five-five box breath, this is going to be challenging for you guys. But here's what I want you to realize. If you do as little as six breaths, your body will adapt. So if the first time you do a five-five box breath, it feels like it's almost impossible to do. I'm going to bet by the time you're done the sixth one, it'll be easier with me. So the progression could be, I'm going to do a five, five box breath, and then I'm going to do a six, six box breath, and then I'll do a seven, seven box breath, right? So I mean, that means five seconds in, five second hold, five seconds out, five second hold. Do that a few times, progress six, 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 and seven, 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 seven. You can get yourself up to a 20 second box breath if you're really, really well trained. What you guys are all going to feel Typically, after the exhale, when your air is all out, that breath is going to be the hardest to hold because your, your body has a natural desire to start getting air back in. And your goal is then just to relax. Relax your body, relax your mind, and realize nothing bad is going to happen if you don't take a breath in. So you're going to feel a strong air hunger, desire to breathe. Just hold on. Just chill out. By holding your breath, you're actually causing a contraction of the spleen, which causes an increase in red blood cells. So the body's actually going to release more hemoglobin, more red blood cells, so it can hold more oxygen. By doing a light breath hold, you literally increase your oxygen carrying capacity instantaneously. So that's why you get such quick adaptations to your ability to hold your breath. Because as you can imagine, this is a life or death potential thing. Your body goes, I need oxygen. So it releases more, it's kind of like, it's a contraction of the spleen, releases more red blood cells. So you get this really quick adaptation. So if you guys are training this, you want to get better at it, Progress yourself up. Getting to a 10-10 box breath or a 12-12 box breath is not hard. It just takes a little bit of practice. So I tend to start and do this before I meditate in the morning, before I do yoga. It really tends to center me. Like if you tend to have a, a racing mind, this is a really good way to, to center your mind and have you a little bit more focused. That little bit of breath hold, a little bit of retention is really good for improving carbon dioxide tolerance. And carbon dioxide tolerance, for those of you that don't know, is incredibly important to long-term, well, short-term performance and, and long-term well-being and, and the absence of anxiety. So if anyone suffers with anxiety, 
there's a one-to-one correlation between the ability to tolerate carbon dioxide, high amounts of carbon dioxide, and not having anxiety. What that means is, if I can hold my breath ultimately, or I can accumulate higher amounts of CO2, the likelihood of me having an anxiety attack or having anxiety goes way down. So if I have a poor CO2 tolerance, meaning if I hold my breath a little bit, I start feeling anxious, my likelihood of having anxiety or panic is much higher. Does that make sense? So the more, the better your aerobic fitness, the better your ability to tolerate the accumulation of carbon dioxide. So when I'm holding my breath, I'm accumulating CO2. And if I can tolerate it really well, my likelihood of having anxiety drops, right? So they had a guy on the podcast, Justin Feinstein, brilliant guy. He was out in Hawaii, really, really amazing insights. If you haven't listened to the podcast, really, really useful talking about how to improve anxiety, how to improve CO2 tolerance. So where does this all tie in to, you know, this lens through which we see the world? So, right. So if you guys realize the nervous system is kind of like the wiring between your brain and your senses, right? Your five senses and your body is perceiving the world through your senses, through your eyes, through your ears, through your touch, through your taste, through your feel, right? So your body's perceiving these, the world and the nervous system is kind of the wiring that connects the perception in the brain from the, the proprioceptive input from the, the senses, right? So the nervous system, so regardless of what you're sensing, the nervous system can influence how the brain perceives it. If the nervous system is in a state of high alarm or high stress all the time, then the body's going to assume that everything around you is, is stressful. If the body is calm and the nervous system is calm all the time, then the nervous system, regardless of the perception of the events in the moment, will be less likely to react, right? So this nervous system is literally like the lens through which we see the world or the filter through which we see the world. And it's important to know that we have the ability to influence and ultimately control our nervous system. Right. So you guys have all heard of uh, the autonomic nervous system, hopefully, which is two branches, right? Parasympathetic and sympathetic. And sympathetic, if you remember, S is stress and parasympathetic is rest and digest. And these two things have like a dynamic dance, right? So if I want to be, let's say something, I want to be mobilized. I want to like run. I want to, I want to attack. I want to pursue. I want my nervous system to be ready, right? I don't want to be like, and I got to like clear the crust out of my eyes. And, oh, right. That's not a very healthy nervous system. I want to be like, boom, I'm ready to go. Right. That, that the nervous system needs to do that. The nervous system releases cortisol, perceives threat, releases cortisol, mobilizes the energy to go. Right. I, that's a healthy nervous system. I want that reaction, but I don't want to stay there. I don't want to live there. Right. That's a sympathetic response. The other side of it is recovery. So as soon as I'm done fighting or, or running or training, I don't want to stay in that state all day. I want to get out of it. I want to be calm. I want my nervous system to, to go back into recovery mode, into storage and anabolism, right? So this stress system is really catabolism. It's breakdown. It's breaking down energy. It's mobilizing energy to move, to fight, to flee. Yes? The parasympathetic is to recover, regenerate, and heal. And so if I'm always in this state of burning, I'm not healing, right? So it needs to be this dynamic flux of training both of these systems so if you want to be someone who effectively gets in shape or effectively performs in life, you want just the right of nervous system activation for the activity you're doing. There's no sense in, in, in having the same amount of stimulation to the nervous system when you're squatting heavy as compared to when you're sitting at home, you know, writing a love letter to your significant other or reading a book to your child, right? Very different uh, states of arousal, we hope, right? 
you can't be, um, you know, the, the savage trainer and the sweet lover at the same time. At least you probably shouldn't be, maybe, depending on your, your stuff. But, um, <laughs> but, but in general, you want different states of arousal, right? And we want the nervous system to adapt based on what we need in that moment. And so someone who's truly healthy has the ability to adapt minute to minute to minute. So if any of you in the last month came into a circumstance, this could be your workout, and maybe you lack the energy or focus to get it done. Anybody ever experienced that in the last 30 days? Coming into a workout, I'm like, oh, man, I just don't feel like doing it. I don't have the energy, right? Or maybe you're coming into to like sleep and you're like, brain is racing. Your brain just doesn't want to slow down. Anybody experience that? Yeah, all of us do at some level, right? So this is, this is an expression of the nervous system, the nervous system not being in the right state at the right time. And I want you all to realize that you are the one in the driver's seat of this nervous system, right? So if I want my nervous system to go faster, I have three primary points of intervention. So I have my visual system, I have my breathing, and I have my muscular system. Those are my three primary physical points of intervention. Obviously, I could do things that are um, like stimulating like caffeine and stuff, but not. But excluding that, there's three points of intervention at the level of the nervous system, the visual system, breathing, and my muscular system. So I'll explain what that means. If my, if my nervous system, my visual system is in a wide panoramic gaze, meaning I'm looking at you, but I'm actually seeing the entire room, I'm, I'm viewing the horizon, I'm seeing the big picture. It's a very calming state to the nervous system. The nervous system tends to tune down. Think of it in terms of hunting, right? If I'm out in a forest, in a jungle, or in a big wide open space and I'm hunting, I have this really peripheral view. And all of a sudden, I see my target way off in the distance and I go, I'm going to zero in on that target. What do you think happens to my heart rate when I zero in on the target? Skyrockets, right? Goes up. Because my, my body goes to prepare. Like, there's your target. You got to go get it, right? This is an evolutionary adaptation that says, hey, I'm chilled out, you be chilled out. But if I need to focus and go get something, boom, focus. Turn up the vigilance, right? Call hypervigilance. So if you think of your, your visual system, so if you're in a time of stress, you may be getting ready for bed, is it a good idea to be on your phone and be focused on Instagram or on email before you go to bed when you have a state of high arousal and you want to turn it down? No, you want to dilate the gaze, have a peripheral view, let the nervous system calm down. That's one point of intervention. If I want to wake up for my workout, I want to have more focus, what should I do? Dilate my, or, or narrow my field of focus, right? So maybe before my workout, I have a single, I do this before squatting. I'll go from a peripheral um, field of view to just like zero in on one thing and I'll stare at it like intently like I'm going to kill it. It could be just a, a point on the wall or a bug or something, just stare at it. And I'll look at it, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm going to go. Or it's like getting, getting crazy eyes, right? And the stare and the go. My eyes are getting focused on a single point. And so that's one point of, of intervention. Second point of intervention, I said, is your breathing. So yeah, as you guys know, if I want to become more stimulated, what do I do? I'm ready to go. My heart rate's up. Heart rate's beating. I'm sweating a little bit. I'm ready to go, right? What do we do when, when something like something, you get scared, your nervous system goes, I'm preparing to get the fuck out of here, right? That's the, my, does my nervous system turning everything on, releasing cortisol and adrenaline, going, I'm getting ready to get the hell out of here, right? We don't want to live like that. But that's, that's a way we can, we can access a higher state of arousal, higher state of vigilance. Whereas if I want to come down, what do I do? Slow the breath, calm mind. 
So we have a slow exhalation for calming or a fast inhalation for excitation. Okay. There's one more breathing modality that I've told you guys about before, but I'll tell you about it again today. It's called the physiological sigh. And this is proven to be the fastest way out of stress or overwhelm. So if you're feeling like you have a bit of anxiety coming on, or you feel like you just maybe finished a really hard set or workout, and you're like, holy shit, my heart rate's through the roof. I want to slow down and calm down. It's a double inhale followed by an exhale. Has everybody heard of this before? Anybody not heard of this? Okay, so... Two inhales, long exhale. Right? My body's chilled out. Okay. So those are a couple great tools for you guys to start intervening with your nervous system. The third one I said is with your visual system, your breathing, and your, your muscles. So you think of like the amount of tone in your muscles. My muscles are super t- tense. What does that say about my level of preparedness to do something? My body's probably like hypertonic. It's probably ready to go, right? It's probably like I need to move through this. Whereas I'm very relaxed and very passive it's much less likely to be prepared. So if I want to increase my level of stimulation, I create a little muscular stimulation, right? If I want to chill out, I'm conscious of letting the muscles go. I want the muscles to melt. So if I'm meditating, I don't want to be up here, be calm, yeah? So learning to control those three points of intervention are the greatest opportunity to control the sympathetic and parasympathetic. Does everyone get that to this point? So if you're ever in a circumstance where you feel like you're not reacting in the, in the right way, maybe the best example I often use, or one of the examples I often use, is my children, some days, they are perfect angels, right? I'm like, oh, they're just the best humans. And some days, I get irritated with them, right? And what I've realized is, my irritation with them is more a reflection of the state of my system than it is what they're doing. Because two consecutive days, they could come in and do the exact same thing. And if I'm stressed or if I'm tired or if I'm not recovered, I react differently to their same, st- same state. Does that make sense? So it's not just the events or themselves that influence you. It's also the state that you're in to perceive it. So for me, that's a very empowering place to come to the world to realize that, man, the circumstance around me is not determining my reality. It's my state that's determining my reality. Have you guys ever had a stressful event in your life? You're like, yeah, do you really find it that stressful? Like everyone else is freaking out, but you're like, I'm pretty cool. Yeah, so sometimes in the state you're in matters more than the circumstance, right? So one statement I often say, and you guys heard me repeat it before, is I am stronger than my circumstance. Sometimes we have hard circumstances, but I also have the ability to control it or control my perception of it. One of the best practices that I've ever implemented in my life is like 30 consecutive rapid breaths before you train. And you guys will know you've done it correctly if you start to sweat, right? So your heart rate will go up a little bit, not significantly, but you'll start to just break a little bit of a sweat, like systemically. And it's literally, I mean, it can be uh, a fast inhale followed by a slow exhale, or it can just be really, really quick in and out. Or it can be really whatever works for you. The longer the inhale and those fast exhale will probably be more stimulating. This 
is more of a, what they call a kundalini breath to kind of like get the energy flowing. But either way, like I just six and I feel like my body temperature, my blood is flowing a little bit. The nervous system just turns on. So if you guys ever have a hard time, you're like, man, it's early in the morning. I don't want to get training or it's like, God, I'm tired. Is that a long day of work? And you don't want to do a stimulating uh, pre-workout or a, or a um, caffeine or something like that. Um, just doing like 30 breaths. And then, so again, there's a number of things you can do after it. If you, if you follow the Wim Hof protocol, it's three times and then hold. And the breath hold is also very beneficial because as I said earlier, but holding the breath, the body actually releases more red blood cells from the spleen to, to, to hyper-oxygenate the body, which is good temporarily. And it'll, it'll, it'll mop those back up later. That's a good practice, right? And so when, when you're done your training, you could probably do the opposite, slow down your breathing. So if you guys ever feel like uh, even going into like a work meeting, if you're like, I need a little energy or I need to have to be a little focused, or if you're driving the car and you're nodding off, it's a really good practice to learn how to have these tools at your disposal. Now, the one thing with this hyperoxygen, or the, it's, it's called hypoxic breathing. No, it's called hypercapnic breathing. Hypercapnic means you're getting rid of your carbon dioxide. It's not a great thing to do all the time. So, you know, like Wim Hof has become very popular. It's not an awesome thing to do like on a consistent basis. You wouldn't want to do it repetitively uh, because it does cause hyperalkalosis, which is hyper. So you guys know like there's like this, there's fat around like an alkaline diet, which is complete nonsense. But um, the only way to alkalize your body is actually to off-gas carbon dioxide. And so you can become very alkaline, which is actually not a good thing uh, if you do too much hypocapnic breathing, which is, again, as I said, this absence of CO2. Thanks for listening to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. For full episode guides with important takeaways and bonus resources, head over to muscleintelligence.com slash learn. If you enjoy the show and find value in the content, please subscribe, share this podcast with at least one person you know and love who would benefit from this content. Leave us a review and support our sponsors. You can see the full list of show sponsors, discounts, and get exclusive Muscle Intelligence deals at muscleintelligence.com slash resources. To join our private community and get VIP access to my master classes, upcoming muscle camps, and other resources that we don't post anywhere else, head to muscleintelligence.com slash community. Most of all, thank you very much for your trust, for your time, and most importantly, for supporting health and fitness in this world. Enjoy your day, and I look forward to seeing you here next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.